But let's open our copy of God's Word, please, to the book of Ephesians chapter number 4. And uh, don't worry, I will not be doing a verse-by-verse exposition of this, but we will walk through uh, chapter number 4 and uh, uh, see some things concerning the church. And the, uh, the thing that we're going to see is the necessity of going to church. So let's, let's pray before I get started. <laughs> Our Father, once again, we want to thank you for the privilege to be in church. I want to thank you for the privilege to open your word, to uh, look through it, and to share with your precious people. And it is a privilege. But I do want to confess my unworthiness and my absolute helplessness. Unless you anoint and enable me, there is nothing I can say or do that would be of any lasting or eternal benefit. You must speak to your people. I pray that your voice would be clearly heard in my voice today and that it would not be me that, uh, that your people pay attention to, but you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, uh, as I was beginning to say, we have actually begun these days to think of church attendance as optional. Now think about what I'm saying. We have begun to think of church attendance as something that is optional. I don't mean to say, I know somebody, the first objection is going to be, well, you know, preacher, you can't always go to church. Well, that's true. It's true. I, I used to think that there's nothing that should keep you out of church, and then I got old. And I found out that sometimes I'm not able to go to church. And uh, sometimes other people are not able to go to church. There are providential hindrances. Things happen. One Sunday, we were about to leave for church, and uh, I walked out in the yard, and it was just standing in water. The pipes had uh, uh, broken uh, between my house and the, uh, uh, the water, the, uh, what do you call that thing, the meter, the water meter. So that was all on me, and so uh, that, was the, that was a providential hindrance. Sometimes you have things like that happen. And uh, sometimes, as the uh, Old Testament scripture says, the ox just falls in the ditch, doesn't it? But there are, uh, and there are physical issues. We get uh, sick and not able. Sometimes we are uh, not, uh, we're somewhere else when our uh, local church has its meeting, and we're not able to get there. But the point that I want us to get is that if it is at all possible for you to be in the house of God, in the church that God has placed you in, that he has uh, uh, encouraged you to become a member of, a church that he has planted you in, when, you're, when you are able, you should be there at every function of that church. 
And, uh, and so, as I, I said, we've begun to think of church attendance as something that is optional. I don't really have to go to church. You don't have to go to church to go to heaven. I wouldn't want to stake my, my soul on that. I don't think you can prove it by Scripture. But uh, we actually know that uh, this whole proposition of church attendance being optional, we actually know that's not true, don't we? If we just be honest with ourselves, we know it just ain't so. We know that it's that we ought to be in church. But the reason we have come to the place where we view it as optional is that that's what we want to believe. We have decided, we have chosen to believe that it really doesn't matter if you go to church. But uh, when I was a child growing up in my home, our whole life was based on church attendance. It revolved around the church. We didn't say, I can't go to church. I'm going visiting somewhere. We said, I can't go visiting because <laughs> we have church. That's the way that's the way it was. And just because it was that way doesn't mean that's not the reason that I believe that it's necessary. But if you'll look at the book of Ephesians, you know that uh, Ephesians, the first three chapters of the book uh, is a uh, uh, a series. Now there are some imperatives in the first three chapters, but basically, first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, is, uh, is filled with indicatives. Indicatives are those uh, facts that Paul writes to the Ephesian people about who they are, about what they have in the Lord Jesus Christ, and how that Jesus uh, is uh, the, uh, that he is the fulfillment of everything that they need and that they were chosen in him before the foundation of the world and that they were uh, they died with him they were buried with him they arose with him and they're seated with him in the heavenlies and all these things this is this is all positional truth and it is glorious truth and it is uh, 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 some glorious indicatives but then in chapter 4 he says Therefore, <laughs> and he starts giving some imperatives, and the imperatives are based on the indicatives. Now, if Jesus has done all this for you, then here's how you're to respond to that. And so he says in verse number one of chapter four, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy or in a way that is uh, conducive, a, a way that is uh, uh, fit for a person who has the calling which, with which you were called. Well, what's he talking about calling? He's talking about your calling to salvation. That God 
called you by the Holy Spirit with that effectual call. It didn't. Ju it was just like the call from Jesus to Lazarus, who was dead and in his tomb. It was a call that didn't only uh, call his name, but it gave life and ability for him to respond. And that's exactly what he did with us. And so we've been called into a relationship with God in salvation, and we ought to walk like it, we ought to talk like it, and we ought to live like it. So that's what he's saying right there. And he said, uh, and, and here's how you do it, verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another. Now, who's the one another? Well, it ought to be everybody, but it's ba I believe he's basically talking about the other people who have been, have that light calling, don't you? He says, bearing with one another in love. And here's another reason to believe that, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body. When, when Paul talks about the body, he's talking about a very complex thing, is he not? He's not just talking about a, a human body. He's talking about the body of Christ that is made up of all believers, all those who have been called into that special relationship. And so we're to keep that unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and realizing that there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then he says in verse number seven, but to each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, every one of us in this body have a function. And he says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended? He came down to the into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Now, and we're going to keep on coming to words like this. He's talking about the body of believers here. And he's talking about gifts that were given to the body of believers. Uh, they are uh, apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. These are gifts that Christ gave to the body for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Well, I thought it was the pastors that had to be equipped for the work of ministry. Well, pastors are to equip you 
for the work of ministry. And they can't do it if they can't find you. <laughs> I don't mean, to, I, you know, some of this stuff sounds like I'm trying to be hateful and mean. I'm, I'm not. It's just natural. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, he says that uh, we would, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. Is he talking about the physical body of Christ that is seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Or is he talking about not only that, but the whole body of Christ, the church? I think that's, that's what he's talking about. Till we, we, plural, we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Again, there he's talk, using that uh, body analogy. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. So Christ the head, and we are the members of the body. From whom... The whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Now, are you reading this with me? You, now, we are, we have a, we have each a ministry in the body of Christ. Each and every one of us have a ministry in the body of Christ. He says, uh, let, me, let me start verse 16 again. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, I don't, I can't read that without seeing that, uh, that there's a presupposition here. And that is that the body is not to be in pieces and parts scattered, but it's to be together. Performing each, uh, each part of the body, uh, performing its own function. And so we, we can understand here that God has a people. God has a people that are chosen. He chose People, a people, and he always uses those articles, a people, the people, the body. Because he's talking about us as a group, but as a unit. God has a people, he's chosen them. We've already talked about that, that he set his love on us before the foundation of the world. Even before 
first sin was ever committed, God already had a plan and he set everything in order. He started everything in motion that would eventually bring every one of us to himself. He didn't just choose us, but he bought us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then he sought us. Now think on this. He sought us by the Holy Spirit. And he found us by the gospel uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he indwelt us. The Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us a vital, now that word vital, it just means a living, active, true, real uh, connection that you can feel, that you can know, that you can understand it's real. A connection in a vital way to God and to Christ and to one another. So keep, keep that in mind. He, he has joined us together in one body and we are held together by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. You can read what Jesus said to, about the Holy Spirit in, in John 14, 15, and 16. It's such a marvelous thing. But he says that the Holy Spirit is, is a comforter. He's our comforter. He's our parakletos. He comes alongside to help. Hallelujah. He is, a, uh, he is the spirit of truth. It's from him that the word of God comes. And he is the one who will keep us in the truth. He knows the truth. He will teach us the truth. He'll bring us under conviction. He will show us the things that, uh, uh, that we need to know from his word. And so God has a people. But not only does he have a people, he gives his people names that demonstrate something about the nature of of his people the church and one of the names he gives them is sheep or a flock and he calls the he calls himself the good shepherd the great shepherd the chief shepherd chief shepherd and he calls us the under shepherds but uh, but he calls his people sheep <laughs> that sounded like a joke. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Don't get mad. Sheep. Every sheep. Listen now. Every sheep that is away from the flock. I want you to think about every time you've read about a sheep that is away from the flock. He is always depicted. That's right, brother. He is always depicted as being astray. Being in grave danger. 
And the flock is the ones that are together. And sometimes the shepherd has to go and lead the 90 and 9 and get that other sheep. But I'm telling you, if you can stray from the flock and stay there, and the shepherd doesn't come after you, are you part of the flock? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Sheep are, uh, are, are creatures that must be guarded they must be led they must be fed they uh, they have to be taken care of i've heard people say this and i've read it that they're the the dumbest creatures in the world and maybe they are i don't know i've never had to deal with sheep but i have dealt with cattle if they're dumber than cattle <laughs> that's pretty sad but uh, uh, anyway, the, anytime, anytime you see the, a sheep by itself out away from the flock in Scripture, it is always depicted as one who's not in its best place. It's not in a good place. It's always uh, lost and on the need and in need of rescue. Another word that we get the word church comes from the greek word ecclesia and it means a called out assembly assembly <laughs> right people say it's not about the building true it's never been about the building but it is about the gathering. The people of God must assemble. That's what he has called us to. To assemble. And, uh, and so this assembly, people say, well, you know, I don't think you have to be a member of a church. Well, he has an order. The church has an order. It has elders. It has deacons. It has exposition of the word. It has prayer. And it has discipline. And so these things are necessary for all of us. If you come and just sit in the service, we're glad to have you. And we're going to do everything we can to serve you and be a blessing to you, but we cannot exercise the kind of oversight for you in your life if you're not a member. Jesus uh, uh, was very clear on this when he gave the teaching on church discipline in Matthew chapter 18. Let me hurry on. I'll, I'll take up too much time. So his people are called sheep. They're called the ecclesia, the church, the called out assembly. They're called a bride. That speaks of their intimacy with him. 
They are for him and for him alone and not for anything else. And when we, every time we make a choice to do something else other than be faithful to the assembly, to be faithful to the uh, body of Christ, then we are choosing to be away from him, his bride. It's a body, and we've already talked about it. I won't go into the details, but you can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 what Paul says. Well, let me just read this because this is so important to make clear what we're talking about here. Listen to what he says in uh, beginning in verse number one. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Uh, we, there's all these uh, uh, nine, I think there's nine gifts, I'm not sure. There's several gifts uh, that are mentioned in these gifts. There's a list of them three times in this chapter. But uh, look at verse number 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And, and Paul goes on and makes his point there. And also in Romans chapter 12, we have some of the same language. So we are all part of a body and each part of this body has a function. And again, I'll say you can't have a fully functioning body with pieces scattered around everywhere. And we're a building. It's another uh, picture that is used. We are a building and each you know, part of the building, if, uh, if part of the building is here and part of the building is at the mountains and part of the building is at the uh, beach and part of the building, I mean, where's the strength in that building? So, he has a, he has a people. He gives his people names that reveal some truths about their 
their responsibility to come together and he has an intention for his people and that that intention is that they be gathered in one place with himself in the midst now this has not this has an eternal look to it okay eventually he's bringing his whole body together the whole bride of Christ, the whole temple, the whole city, the new Jerusalem. He's bringing it all together and he's going to be in the midst of his people. And he said, I'll be their God and they'll be my people. Oh, isn't that wonderful? But every Lord's Day is a dress rehearsal for that day. That's right. I mean, just, just go ahead and be now like you think you're going to be then. We're in the presence of the Lord. Read Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 22 sometime. Read it. We are, we are in that new Jerusalem. We've been brought in. We're part of it. And we are to... Gather ourselves to him. There is this sense in which we are already brought in. But then there's this sense in which we are to draw near. We are to come nigh unto him. He has that intention for his people. And listen, this is a verse you knew I was going to eventually have to get to it in Hebrews chapter 10. You knew I would have to get to it, right? But listen to the context of verse 24 and 25, Hebrews chapter 10. And here is one of those imperatives, all right? Let us consider one another. It's a, I've heard people do this before. It's a wonderful thing to do a study on all the one another sayings. In the Bible. Tells us our responsibility to each other. And so the writer of Hebrews. And think about this. I told you when we were preaching in Mark chapter 13. We talked about how that Jesus had uh, told them what was about to happen in their generation in AD, uh, in AD 70. It was going to happen in their generation the fall of jerusalem and the uh, crushing of the uh, of the temple it was not one stone left upon another it was destroyed he said it's going to be destroyed and the book of hebrews was written before that time and the people of uh, the, that uh, are written to here are people who have, uh, uh, I mean, they're right on the brink of this happening and the persecution has already started for them. And many of them are, they're tempted to escape the persecution by going back under Judaism. They've been convinced, they've been preached to, they know Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, but it is hard. 
You and I don't know what that's like. But it's hard to follow Christ. It's hard when their family casts them out and says, you're no longer alive to me. It's hard when somebody says, you profess faith in Jesus, we're taking all your stuff, all of it. You're losing your job. This is, a, this is a horrible thing. These people are facing some really hard times. And so the writer is saying to them, consider one another. You, you guys got to be, you got to back each other up. You got to hold each other up a little bit, right? Man, if, it, if that was right on our uh, doorstep, we would be the same way. We would need somebody to hold us up. Well, guess what? <laughs> it is. It is. We need to behold one another, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Here's how you should consider one another to stir up love and good works. And here's how you do it. Not forsaking the assembling. It's that word again, assembling. Of ourselves together as the manner of some. Now, some have forsaken. And, and the word here is that they've turned their backs on it. They have gone back. And fled from the truth to save their own hide. But they were under persecution. When, when you and I lay out a church, it's for a lot less cause than that, isn't it? Hello? <laughs> Anybody here? Yeah, yeah, that bunch in there. That wish they was here. No, I'm just kidding. Well, you know, I got uh, I got family members that need to be hearing this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, for them, it's that day that Jesus was talking about. For us, there is a day of the Lord coming. But uh, this, is a, this is a responsibility that you and I have to one another. We don't come to church just to sit here and make it a legal duty. You have to be here in your pew. But we come to minister to one another. We should be, anyway. It's not just to uh, come in and so many are focused on being entertained. Yeah, you know, I didn't say it. I didn't really enjoy it. All I did was preach. <laughs> we want to be entertained, but... Well, we are to... Consider one another. And then there's uh, 
this historic tradition, the believers in uh, the New Testament, they had a tradition. They had a habit of meeting together on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. <coughs> I love chapter number two, Acts chapter number two. And at the end of this chapter, just read along with me and I'll be out of time. But with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. He's talking about Peter in that uh, great message on Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. He be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now think on the implications of that. This is, this is a group that is distinct from other groups. And they know how many of them there are. <laughs> Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. What do they mean by breaking of bread? Is everybody eating together? Right. Communion and fellowship. And in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. And had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods. And divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Now. They were still considered at that point a sect of Judaism. And they were meeting together in the temple. He said, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the called out assembly daily those who were being saved. There is so much more we could talk about on this subject, but I just, uh, I think, I think uh, we could pretty much say that the right thing to do is just to be in church. <laughs> Every time you are able, be in church. Father, we bless you. Thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to embrace it, love it, and obey it. In Jesus' name.